Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to and or back to the Jet Real Podcast. I am your host, Jill Trees. That's not how I actually talk. I'm not sure where that accent came from. But um, yeah, I, I've got some things that I would like to talk about today. And that is what a podcast is about, is where somebody can say things that nobody else wants to listen to. So I say it into a microphone and you listen to it for God knows why. Um, <laughs> this week's episode, I would like to talk about changing yo perspective and i'm not talking like those tattoos that have the like word perspective and each letter is like turning a different direction no 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 that's not what we're doing we're talking about perspectives in the horse world of course because like what else would we talk about you know what i'm saying i don't know what kind of vibe i'm on right now and I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and apologize in advance and we're gonna i'm gonna stop talking but let's just the music the music that's what we need <laughs> Okay, now that you have paid for me to eat, Wally, please get out of the sink, sir. Let's get out of the sink. Thanks. Sorry about that. Now that you have listened to me go through three different personalities, um, <clears throat> I'm kidding, of course. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what kind of energy I'm on. Honestly, I'll be real with you. It is 1028 on Monday the 29th, and this podcast got to go up in a few hours, and did I remember 10 minutes ago that I have to do this? Sure did. Um, but luckily I keep a handy dandy list prepared, um, in my notes of things that I want to talk about. And I think that this one is super relevant because as of late, um, there have been a lot of things that have been happening. My mind's been changing, um, especially over the last couple of years. And I think it's super relevant to this podcast. And, um, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Um, and yeah, so, um, I promise, promise that things are going to even out soon. I hope dear God, please. I hope, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think today or tomorrow is like the last day that I have to be done with all my like schoolwork for the semester, which is cool. Cause I only have like, yeah, I don't know, uh, five more assignments to do, um, that I was supposed to do at the beginning of the semester, but it's fine. You know, it's only a month long that's that's not long anyway um so I I, I'm behind and (laughs) I have a week break before summer two starts but technically I already have one course that I've like started you know but it's only for summer two but I'm already in it so like I have access to it so the week break in between summer one and summer two uh well it's not really a week break it's kind of like a weekend but I am going to start working on that class so I can get ahead because I also have to take that undergrad class because if you listen to last episode then you know that really annoying and um maybe it's that I don't breathe enough on podcasts because I always burp (laughs) and I don't know if I'm like inhaling air and then it's like gotta come out I don't know I'm talking really fast I it's been a minute since I spoke to somebody today yeah Mm -hmm. it's been a while um, but yeah, essentially I just, I, that there are lots of things that are happening, but hopefully it's going to all level out here soon. And then I can be more on top of the damn podcast. <laughs> um, I'm excited though, because next month is starting the month where I am going to start doing live monthly Q and A's. I haven't quite decided what day of the month, um, would be best, Um, but currently, I think we have five or six patrons, which those of you listening out there are like, aha, 
that sucks. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited because um, that means that when I do those live Q&As, it's going to be really intimate and just those people um, will be on and able to interact and ask me questions and that sort of thing. Um, so it'll be fun. But if you are interested in becoming a patron, you can listen to a few episodes ago. It's titled Important Moving to Patron, which apparently was a bit of a misnomer because now everybody thinks this podcast is only available to patrons. So that's not great. Um, but um, you can listen to that episode or you can go to patreon.com slash jetrailpodcast and all of the things are listed there. Or shoot me an email and be like, I'm confused and I will walk you through it. Um, but yeah, so that is essentially the thing. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to say. Um, I don't know. I'm excited about doing that. Um, might wait a little bit into the month just in case. So if anybody does want to join, then it's not, um, they won't miss the Q&A. But yeah, so maybe that'll be fun. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> that was a weird mouth sound. Anyway, getting on to the topic here. Um, as I mentioned earlier, totally forgot I had to record this podcast, so you'll have to apologize if it's on the cuff a little bit. I really do feel so bad about putting out stuff that is not, like, (laughs) super perfect and, like, really just, I don't know, I took notes and blah, 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 because I've got a few other topics that I want to talk about, but I need to, like, actually dedicate a little time to organizing it to make sure that I say everything I want to say and that I offend the least amount of people possible, um, but, (laughs) because my opinions on horses are apparently just astronomical, but, um, today I just want to talk about changing opinions and, um, that's sort of a broad topic, but I think it applies to a lot. Last week, um, I talked about BLM, Black Lives Matter movement, um, which admittedly, um, my horse person was showing, um, you know, those memes that are like, when you read, when you read L-E-A-D as, lead instead of lead and you're like I'm doing a lead change on my pencil and you're like lead change yeah meme whatever BLM I was like when it first started going around I'm so stupid so dumb and I hate to admit it but like the when it when I first started seeing posts about it I thought they were talking about like BLM Mustangs which admittedly I don't know what BLM Mustang stands for I know (laughs) BLM stands for Black Lives Matter but I don't think that's what that's about anyway Oh, God, I hate my brain sometimes. Why do I say things like that? I don't know. Um, anyway, totally irrelevant. But I was talking about that last week and my perspective change on that and that I just, like, there was so much I didn't know. Granted, I really didn't have, like, a super solid opinion, um, but I also just, like, didn't really realize the depth of the issue and, um, you know what it means to other people, and I was just kind of in my own bubble and not really looking at anything else. And to translate that into the horse world, it is a very similar circumstance where, um, you know, you kind of just do whatever, um, you know, you do whatever you do, and um, if it's working for you, that's what you continue doing. And even to some extent, um, we continue to do things that aren't working for us, um, but in a way they are. So (laughs) what the fuck did I just say? (laughs) Um, Let me explain. So say like a few weeks ago, somebody wrote in and was talking about their horse that um, refused at a jump. And every single time this horse would refuse, the trainer would say, you know, whip it, beat it, you know, make it jump from a standstill, whatever. And she said that 
this horse had been doing this for over a year. So that's not working, clearly. Like, <laughs> the beating the animal is not making it want to jump anymore. Um, but the reason that that behavior is staying um, maintained, the reason the trainer and the rider continued to um, whip the horse every time it refused was because to do anything different might mean admitting that um, you are wrong. And I think that that, like, obviously that is one example, and I, I don't, I can't know exactly what was going on in that situation for that trainer, horse, and rider, but I'm using it as, like, a metaphor for um, how a lot of modern training is done, because if, if you admit, or if you acknowledge, or try to do something else, it might mean admitting that what you've been doing was wrong. And that is a huge threat to the ego. And <laughs> if you have ever been in the horse world, ego is everything. Reputation is everything. The sport and industry does not make a whole lot of money. And if your reputation gets tainted at all, um, you know, that could mean the end of your career. Um, it usually doesn't because there's a lot of cruelty and abuse um, that goes on and <laughs> the the people continue to compete and they train and they still get clients and blah, 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 so on and so forth. But um, I think my point is that, you know, it's just, it's really disheartening that I think that the industry is so concerned with being right and it's the elitist energy that is like having the best clothes, having a really nice car, a nice truck and trailer, a fancy imported horse. And like all of that stuff also comes with an arrogance of knowledge. And I think a lot of people are really afraid to admit when they don't know how to solve a problem or they haven't um, had any experience in some area or that there might be another way to do something. I mean, like, I don't know. People always say there are a thousand ways to train a horse, but you know, if you are the trainer, there's one way, <laughs> you know? And, um, there's an old joke that says, if you put three trainers in a room, the only thing two will agree on is what the third is doing wrong. And I think that's very true. Um, most trainers are just like, nope, my way or the highway, any, any deviation is wrong. And um, obviously that's not all trainers. Some are very, very open-minded, but a lot of the trainers I've met, um, I remember I clinicked with a very big name um, uh, eventer. And uh, they were talking about tack and equipment and told me, that I needed to put a flash on Zoe's noseband. And I was like, why would I do that? <laughs> and they were like, because, um, you know, she's crossing her jaw and ignoring you and blowing you off and evading you. And um, that'll help with that. And I said, wouldn't a figure eight be better? Because I had just recently read Jim Wofford's Training the Three-Day Event Horse and Rider book. And um, uh, though I will say that book I have looked at since, and I don't agree with everything said, but, um, at least on some of the equipment front, he's one of the more modest, um, equipment users. And, um, this, <laughs> I, I asked, I was like, what about a figure eight? Isn't that what they're designed to do? And they were like, no, you need to put a flash on. They're easier to get tighter and they distribute, um, the, pressure more evenly. And I know for a damn fact that that is not true. <laughs> a figure eight is 
physically designed to distribute pressure because there are only two straps. Whereas on a, uh, well, I guess you could argue that a uh, flash is two straps also, but um, the figure eight comes down from the cheek pieces and crosses over the nose and then under um, the horse's chin. Whereas a flash is a noseband and then the flash um, attachment, which it can pull down on the top of the noseband, which can create uneven pressure on the bars and on the, like, on the top of the nose. I don't know how else to say that. Um, but it can just, it can be really uncomfortable for the horse and it doesn't really get the desired effect of, like, not crossing the jaw unless you crank it, which a lot of people do. Um, but anyway, that was just, like, a circumstance where I was, like, I know the research is out there and you're an Olympic level rider standing here telling me that science is wrong and that is has been a recurring theme <laughs> in my journey with horses is that um, people tend to rely on conventional wisdom and um, commonplace over science. And I am so happy that the horse world seems to be going in the direction of looking at science first and almost shaming people who don't look at science first. At least Twitter is like that, especially. Um, but still, sometimes it's like there are studies out there that tell us that this is the case. And people are still like, no, nah, you're wrong. And you're like, what evidence do you have to support that? And they're like, well, one time I hit a horse and it stopped doing the behavior. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like there, that doesn't mean that other ways don't work. And, um, you know, it's just all usually anecdotal experience. And I'm trying not to sound too jaded here, but especially with people that may try positive reinforcement, you know, they, um, go out there with, uh, you know, having watched a YouTube video and a bag of treats and, um, they can't get the horse to do exactly what they want it to. And then get frustrated or start asking for, um, you know, too much or not asking clear enough or in a way that the horse understands. And then ride off the entire method. Because it's easier to try it and not give it a full go and say that it doesn't work and then you don't have to change. I mean, like, there's so much self-preservation that goes into, um, you know, changing your beliefs and wanting to refrain from changing your beliefs. It is a huge, um, or it can be a huge admission of um, inadequacy for a lot of people. I mean, for me, it was really, really hard when I changed from being a really competitive eventer, not a successful one, we can't say that, <laughs> never won, um, but from being a really competitive eventer and somebody who, like, I really valued my ability to ride. I thought I was a really good rider. And, um, that I could get on any young horse and make it do what I wanted it to, and we could be successful. Um, obviously that's not really the case. <laughs> Look at my dressage scores. They're not great. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I felt like I always looked good, but just didn't have the horse. I don't know if that makes sense. That was just kind of how I felt. I felt like I knew the mechanics of riding and how your equitation was supposed to look and um, outside of jumping ahead most of the time. Um, but that was a habit that I learned when I was younger that did not get corrected until a few years ago. And then it still was really difficult for me to untrain that. But um, I, overall, I really valued my riding ability and I thought I was good and I knew what I was doing and I was getting to a level where I was like, I could be a trainer. And 
um, to, to look at all of that and be like, I can't use any of that anymore. It was like, holy shit, <laughs> like really, really hard thing to look at and consider because the thing is, um, you know, for me going from negative reinforcement, traditional training, competitive eventer, to even considering or entertaining the idea of positive reinforcement meant that I had to entertain the idea that I had been wrong that whole time or that I had been unnecessarily harsh with my horse. And that is not something that uh, I wanted to look at. I mean, I can't tell you how many years of being a YouTuber and on Instagram, and I had people sending me all this hate about how I rode and how harsh I was with my horses and my whips and my bits and my spurs. And like, I just was like, oh my God, you guys are being so overly sensitive. And I had zero evidence to back those claims. I was just like, you're so wrong. The horses are fine. Did I ask the horse? No, because any, like any of me paying attention to how the horse was actually reacting to those things, I mean, not all of them, obviously, but like whips and spurs, especially the way that I was using them, the horses were not happy. They were not content. Go watch literally any video of me riding Zoe. Her tail is swishing. Her ears are usually back. Her back is so unbelievably tight. And like, she doesn't look happy at all. The only time she looks happy is when we're on cross country and I'm out of her fucking face and I'm not you know, touching her side with my legs, you know, we're just galloping. Ouch, we hit my hand. Um, but so I think it says a lot when the horse looks absolutely pissed when you're riding, you know, like, and people are like, oh, that's just a concentration face. No, it's not. Who told you that? You made that up so that you could keep doing it guilt-free. And that is just the epitome of some of the goings on in the horse world. And it's really unfortunate. And I mean, of course, there's, they're going to be the outliers of horses that actually do genuinely just have a grouchy looking face. Um, I mean, we have, I forget who it is. I'm trying to think. I think it might be Doc. He's an older horse, but there also may be a reason for that. But like his resting face, his nostrils look pinched up and like he's pissed. But, um, also that could be from years of him being pinched up and pissed because he came from very, very rough cowboys. And, um, that horse like, oh my God, it took me forever to, um, teach him that it's okay to be caught. Oh my God. He would bolt from you and it would take 45 minutes to catch him because he was just like, I (laughs) know you're going to hurt me. And, um, I think that there are just so many things in the horse world that we just ignore because to actually look at it for what it is would mean that we have to change. And change is so hard. (laughs) It is so hard to look at what we're doing and question if it's the best thing in the world to be doing. It is, you know, really difficult to evaluate yourself and be like, okay, well, maybe I'm not right all the time. It's so much easier just to be like, nope, you're wrong. I'm right. I don't even want to look at it. And that's what I did for so long with people that would tell me, I mean, I've been hearing the science for years and refused to listen to anybody because I was like, no, you're wrong. And the only reason that I even looked halfway at positive reinforcement was because Zoe was recovering recovering from colic surgery and I thought it looked like an efficient trick training method. I was like, oh, I can use treats for tricks, but not for serious riding. Um, Now, I never had it ingrained into me that um, feeding a horse treats would teach it to bite. Nobody ever told me that, thank God. Um, but 
Yeah, so I didn't have to overcome that hurdle, but that's something else too. I mean, when people consistently tell you and tell you with like an absurd amount of confidence when they're like, no, it'll happen, then, I mean, especially when you're a young rider, you don't know anything and you're trusting the professionals around you, you know, you're like, okay, yeah, (laughs) that's probably the case. You know more than I do. But I think something that is just like so such a good metaphor. I'm so sorry. This is way all over the place and I'm like really insecure about it, but just let it happen. I'll maybe get to a point eventually. Um, but something that is like really, I think powerful to think about is, um, you know, you think about kids or if any of you have ever had a boyfriend around your horse and you want them to tack up or groom or ride, um, or you've been around a little kid or somebody who's brand new to horses and you're teaching them how to brush and they always do the lightest, like, soft, very easy brushing. And you're like, you can brush harder than that. You have to, like, actually get the dirt off. And they're like, oh, but I don't want to hurt them. Or when you're having them lead and the horse stops and you're like, just pull on the lead rope. And they're like, but I don't want to hurt them. Or when they're riding and you say, kick harder, he'll go faster if you do. And they say, but I don't want to hurt him. That is where we all start. Every single one of us has started there. We all got into the saddle going, I don't want to hurt the horse. And somewhere along the way, it got, you know, shoved in little by little by little by little that it's okay and that the horse is fine with it when nobody's ever asking the horse. I'm sure that some horses, you know, don't mind your leg being put on. And a lot of horses, um, you know, don't mind bits. But I think that we can all pretty much, um, you know, unanimously agree that nobody likes being hit with a whip and it's really not okay. I think that um, if it is super light and serves only for a cue, then maybe. Um, Obviously, I don't know if everyone on the podcast kept up with, I made a post a while back about um, whips and I got slaughtered online for it. And that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. And I was probably too aggressive in my delivery. But um, I just, I really don't think that like using a whip, because it's so hard to control the severity of it. Like go grab a whip and hit yourself with it and see if you can make it not feel awful. And the reason the whip works is because usually the horse knows it's going to hurt. A lot of people um, say that they maybe wave the whip Or like when you're lunging, you just wave the whip um, or the lunging whip and then the horse goes forward. And so you're like, well, I'm not hurting them. It's still a scare tactic, you know, and you're using fear to make the prey animal go forward. And uh, in all honesty, um, I am really struggling with Zoe's kissing spine rehab. People keep asking me to talk about it. And I have played around with a bunch of ideas and I just really cannot come up with anything that I think is going to be super efficient. Um, and because I haven't worked on Liberty circles with her and currently I don't have a, um, reverse round pin. And, um, for some reason for about a year now, I have been putting off like purchasing the materials to make one. It is not hard, but for some reason I just cannot seem to bring myself to do it. But, um, the biggest part, oops, sorry about that. Um, one of the biggest parts about, um, lunging, uh, or about kissing spine rehab is duration and stamina. And I haven't trained that with Zoe. And so in order to get her rehabbed, you know, 
and get her feeling 100% as quickly as possible, I'm probably going to have to throw her on a lunge line. And I'd like to get driving reins or driving lines so that I can ground drive her in um, in a, like a 20 meter circle and encourage her to stretch her nose down. I'm not really a huge fan of like the Pessoa system and stuff like that because it really does just encourage tucking and tension. Um, and there are studies on that. Don't find me. Um, <laughs> but I would like to be able to, um, you know, lunge her that way. And I know Zoe is very good at lunging and she knows all of the words and I might have to have a lunge whip the first time and just, but I would never have to hit her with it. But the reason that I wouldn't have to hit her is because she knows there's a history there and she understands that there's a threat. If she doesn't go forward, it's going to get louder. And so usually a lot of horses, when they respond pleasantly to very light negative reinforcement cues is because they are very well aware that if they don't, that it's going to escalate and get, um, louder. And that is like, that's, that's the issue with things like whips for me is, um, sure you might not be hitting the horse or it might be very light, but if it doesn't work, what are you going to do? Most of us would increase the pressure to make it work. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it's a weird, a weird world that we live in where somehow that gets justified. And, um, you know, I mean, like I'm, I'm sitting here telling you that I'm probably going to have to do it. I mean, I, I would never, ever hit Zoe again with a lunge whip or a whip. Like it's just, it won't happen if she doesn't go forward on the lunge line. I'm gonna have to figure out something else. But, um, I, I just like, I think it's mad weird that, we are in an industry where beating animals has gotten normalized. And like, if you just like hang with me, if you're like really not feeling this conversation, like just take a step outside of like, I'm an equestrian and I ride and I have, you know, an opinion and an ego tied up in this. And like, think about it like any other animal or any other, you know, creature, like a human child or a dog, um, you would be like, how dare you? Or if a horse made sound, if it yelped when you hit it instead of pinning its ears or turning around and trying to bite you. Like, I think we might all be a little bit more, um, more subtle (laughs) in what we do. And those are the things that, um, I consider and what I really had to look at when I switched to positive reinforcement. It was not easy because it meant facing, every single thing that I'd ever done. And a lot of my writing, like something I never said on the internet, um, was when I was younger, I used to ride with a dressage whip and, um, or just a regular whip, I guess. And I quit riding with them when I was younger. Um, but you'll see all my show pictures. I have one, but I like, but that was because my trainer was like, you need it on cross country just in case. But in lessons and at clinics and stuff, uh, maybe at clinics too, but in lessons, I never carried a whip because I, I knew that I would get frustrated and I would overuse it. Or if I did get frustrated, I would overuse it. And, um, then I would get off and I would sit in the sand holding my reins, bawling my eyes out because I felt so bad about it. But then, and you know, that was usually when I was by myself, but like if I was in an actual lesson and my horse refused at a jump and then my trainer tells me to, you know, get after my horse, rip his face off 
um, hit him with the whip, get him really good, dig your spurs into his sides. Those are all normal things that are said in the horse world all the time. And people are praised and congratulated for riding out things like that and being really aggressive with their horse. So the difference is when I'm by myself and I'm beating the horse, I feel really bad. But when I beat my horse to get him over a fence and my trainer's like, good, you really got after him, well done. Or maybe they're laughing. Like, that, that you can't act like that stuff doesn't happen in the horse world all the time. If your trainer doesn't act like that, hold on to them. They deserve to be protected at all costs. But most, I feel like most instructors, it's just, it's so hard to get away from that. It is such a toxic environment where, and like, and the thing is, it isn't even the trainer's fault. It's how we've been brought up, you know, horses are still livestock. I think the UK just made them sentient or recognized horses as sentient beings. Um, Hiccupy burps. But in the in the U.S., it's still horses are livestock, and that's how they're treated. They were originally, especially in eventing, came from the cavalry and being able to test the horse in different um, facets. So the horses were treated aggressively, and that's how those trainers trained their students, and then those students became trainers, and so on and so forth. And now here we're at this this weird crossroads where science is staring us in the face, going like, "Hey." Maybe we don't have to be so harsh and everyone is like, no, it's my business. If I am told that I'm wrong or if I have to change anything, that means I have to relearn. I become a beginner again. I have to start all over. And that's, that's all so scary. It's terrifying. But I think that that is one of the most important things because doing the right thing or questioning if you know everything, wanting to advance in your education and wanting to be the best you can be for the animals and the most ethical trainer possible, I think that should be all of our goals. And I don't think that there's any shame. If anything, when I see a trainer that wants to switch, I mean, you don't have to switch directly to positive reinforcement, but introduce some kinder techniques, or maybe they don't use certain pieces of equipment that are... um, commonly justified that sort of thing like I have a lot of respect for trainers like that because it's not easy to do it's not easy to go up against the entire industry and be like you know maybe that's not for me that's not what I think and I mean like there's just so much research out there like uh, equitation science Paul McGreevy and Andrew McLean are two leading researchers in equine behavior and um equipment and looking at the ethical implications and um just like I don't know fancy science things on um you know evaluating what we do in the horse world and one of the, their big studies was on um whip effectiveness and if you actually like really need whips and they're trying to get it um outlawed in Australia I believe and um they just have so many different um, studies done that I recommend that you guys look into, like on dominance theory. Um, their stance on dominance, and me putting it very crudely, is to say that um, saying that dominance theory exists with horses is merely a justification to be aggressive with them and get um, rougher <laughs> and um, justify using punishment and harsh tactics because we look at a horse out in the pasture and we say, oh, well, they bite each other, they kick each other, um, so it's okay if we do it. But, like, in, in what world do you look at a toddler hitting another toddler and be like, oh, yeah, cool, I'll do that too? Like, you don't. 
you rise above it and you're like, okay, maybe I can think of a way with my big human brain to think of a different route to take, perhaps. And it's just like, I don't know why it's so normal and we want so badly to just be able to um, be aggressive and be harsh with the animals. Like, I, I really don't get it. And I was a part of it. Like, I'm not absolved of any issue there. Like, I, I did the worst of the worst. I promise. I was a part of all of it. And, um, you know, even still, sometimes I have a hard time using my voice with um, my vets and stuff when they get harsh. And it's really hard for me to fight against that because I know, I know, like, we have, um, you know, sometimes our a farrier, um, like a random one or something, will be out here and the horse will be like moving around and he'll hit it. And I don't know how to be like, hey, don't do that. Because I know, I know instantly they're going to turn around and be like, well, do, you don't want me to work on the horse then? Bye. Either that or um, you want him to just kill me or, um, you know, you're you're being too soft on them. If you would hold the horse correctly, you know, like and a slew of insults. And I know that comes from a place of being like, don't tell me I'm wrong. That's an insult. A. B. Usually they're um, older than me, so they have the elder card. And so, I mean, it's it's really difficult, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, sometimes, I guess, for me, it would probably be better if I was like, okay, well, um, maybe you can come back later. I'll work with the horse and um, get it to a point where you don't have to do that. Um, and, or, you know, it's, it's so hard cause we have 50 horses out here. So for me to work with every single one and make sure that everybody behaves exactly perfectly is kind of a tall order. But, um, at the same time, I want to help the horses as much as I can. And, um, I think that that is another perspective shift as well, that a lot of people think that like with positive reinforcement, you can't do it in every circumstance because like, what are you supposed to do? Just not pull on the lead rope when you're trying to take the horse out to pasture? Obviously, I talked about this in, like, an, a previous episode, but, um, you know, like, the the point of training is to not wait until the worst thing happens. You're not supposed to wait until you have to take the horse out to the pasture. Obviously, that one is a little bit of a tricky scenario. If the horse comes in um, or, you know, you have to lead it to go somewhere, but, like, maybe if you're about to go on a trip... And, you know, you need to be able to lead the horse out of the pasture to the trailer or something. You can work for weeks on it, you know, prior, getting the horse leading really well, responding to a head-up cue that they don't get distracted by the grass and blah, blah, blah. You know, things like that. Like, there's so much that you can do to prep because that is the main attack on uh, positive reinforcement trainers. Oh, well, you want me to just wait while he's, you know, gorging on the food until he gets fat and colics and dies. Like, I read an article once about, or was a blog post about positive reinforcement being a fad. And that's what they said. Like, am I supposed to just wait until my horse eats because he's ignoring me? And my answer to that is, well, if there were prior training, it wouldn't happen in the first place. That is the entire point of training. And, um, it tends to get a bit backwards in the horse world because we get the behavior, um, through just kind of like shoving the circle in the square peg. Um, or shoving the square peg in the, oh my god, in the round hole. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, because, you know, I mean, like, think about when you're riding, you don't, um, 
or you you kind of like pull on the reins and push the horse with your leg into the contact whereas with positive reinforcement you start differently you start building it successively you don't just go right to the end behavior so it would stand to reason that somebody who trains like that would think that the only possible solution to a horse um you know pulling you off course to go graze is to you know pull the horse right back and force it to stop when the alternate solution is to take small steps prior and prevent it from happening in the first place like a lot of people are afraid of um, their horse coming on top of them, um, you know, because they have food or treats or working with food and that sort of thing. Well, the goal is to start slow and gradually build up to the goal behavior. You don't just walk right in with a bag of feed, you know, the horse is going to swarm you. Of course it is. That's what works for horses. It's in their natural ethogram. That's what they do. They're foragers. So you have to set the horse up for success by asking little things at a time, keeping yourself in protected contact and being intelligent about it instead of going out there with a bag of treats and being like, why is it not working? And then you have to get onto the horse and smack it and get it away to protect yourself when you could have just started outside and gradually worked up to it. I hope I'm making somewhat level of sense. I'm kind of just, I guess, targeting all the areas that um, prevent change and, um, you know, the things that I really went through and um, having a mindset shift. And, you know, a lot of it has come back around to, like, kind of finding a a small middle ground. I still feel really guilty about wanting to lunge Zoe, and um, I'm just going to have to see if I can do it in an effective way that um, is beneficial for both of us that, um, you know, won't be too, um, stressful for her because that's really my paramount concern. But at the same time, like she's living in pain right now with her, um, with kissing spine and I opted out of surgery because I mean, that doesn't fix the problem. Um, and especially in a case like hers where it's not super severe. So, um, the best solution is to build her a top line and I can't, I don't feel that I can do that. I don't feel like I'm doing anything, um, just having her back up hills and do, um, small circles at walk. We're just not advanced enough to be able to handle it at positive reinforcement. And I think that this qualifies as an emergency enough scenario to, um, work our way up the humane hierarchy. And I mean, at the same time, yes, a lot of, um, her lunging cues were taught in, um, negative reinforcement but I won't have to escalate, so I think it's okay. <laughs> and um, so I'm just planning on doing some ground driving. And, um, you know, uh, the only reason I'm, like, wanting to do ground driving is because it connects to, like, both sides of the bridle. And that way you can um, communicate with their front end and ask them from the ground to go forward and move into the pressure. Whereas if it's just a, um, uh, just like a one-snap lunge rope it can be a little bit difficult to ask for the um head lowering um but i do have a butt strap that i will um use that it just it doesn't push her hind end under or anything like that and the thing that i really like about it is it's not connected to her front end so every time she takes a step and her leg her back leg goes back it doesn't pull on her front end um, which is what the Pessoa system does, which is why I don't like it. Um, that way they're disconnected. So I just have the ground driving lines and then the hind end thing. They're separate. They're not touching. And that way um, I can encourage her to um, lower her head and lift her back. Um, and I hopefully will be able to 
um, incorporate clicker training with that, but I also, um, have to get some duration in there. And I mean, like trotting, like we'll be trotting up to 10 minutes, you know, each direction, hopefully on a big circle. I ordered big enough lines, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tricky ground to walk because now that I've had the perspective change, it's like, okay, well, when I do have to do things that I don't like to do, it hurts a lot more too, because I think that that is one of the really valuable things. Oh my God, Archie. Hey, I think that's one of the really valuable things about, um, you know, riding traditionally is you're kind of numb to everything. It doesn't really hurt you. Um, you know, like it's, it seems like a weird concept if you kind of like step out of it and you get a little bit meta about it. You're like, this is an animal that I would claim to put my life on the line for. I love it so much. It's my favorite thing in the world. And, um, but I beat it (laughs) with a whip or I kick it a lot and I pull on its face and I demand respect and obedience from it instead of earning it. And like, it just is a weird dynamic if you think about it. And I know on the podcast, I'm pretty much preaching to the choir and If you do ride traditionally, I'm not out for blood here, but it just, it's confusing. If you take, if you take a look at it, like you're an outsider, it really is a lot of cognitive dissonance in the way that we, uh, because cognitive dissonance means essentially that you're believing two contradictory things at the same time. It's okay to beat and hurt my animal. And I also love this animal endlessly. Those are two things that don't go together. So what is the alternative how do you reduce cognitive dissonance? How do you make it more comfortable for you to believe both of those things? You say it's not hurting the horse. So it's okay. You can love the horse and you can beat it because it doesn't hurt it. So it's not actually a bad thing. And, um, when I switched to positive reinforcement, a lot of that meant, um, undoing that and kind of like going back and undoing my conditioning and being like, actually it might hurt the horse. (laughs) And, um, that is not a fun thing to realize because when you do, um, then you look back at your past and you're like, holy shit, what have I done? And, um, all I can say is I wish I had done it sooner. I don't think I was ready maturity wise, um, or in my timeline, which sucks for my horse that had to, um, you know, deal with it. (laughs) Um, but I do think that, um, that change is really hard and especially a change like this that is so wrapped up in your identity, who you are and what you know. I mean, so many riders, like how good you are is determined by your, what level you're at and how high you jump or how difficult your tests are or your patterns or how fast your time is, you know, like all of that is what determines how good you are. And when you're taking it slow and, you know, you're maybe not competing because you don't want to do it, then you're not a good rider anymore. (laughs) And, um, that's just what sucks. And what people focus on on my account, especially is, are you ever going to event again? Are you going to event Zoe when she's better? Are you going to event her? (laughs) My cat is doing like a racetrack on my couch. It's very funny running in circles on my little couch hilarious not chasing anything just doing nascar circles are you having fun archie what do you do he said i don't know but i'm going fast you want to see real speed hilarious anyway um yeah i think that that's probably enough on that topic i want to think if i haven't said anything else i mean I mean, I think you guys probably get it. It's not an easy thing to do. And again, like I get heated and passionate about it, but 
I'm I'm not trying to offend anybody or make anybody feel less than. This is not an easy road to be on. And, um, I mean, with a lot of our training horses, I would still use negative reinforcement. And with Zoe, when I was getting back on her, still used a lot of negative reinforcement. But it's more as guidance and to provide more information. Uh, still technically negative reinforcement. But I think the most reinforcing thing was the... Um, the click and the treat, not necessarily the release of pressure, which is what it is. It is not a reward when you release your horse's head. It's not. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I think that there's just a lot of semantics in the horse world like that. For instance, you know, you have to reward the horse by, um, softening your hand and letting go of their head. That's not a reward. That is a release of something that they don't like, which is you pulling on their faces. And, a, that's not self-carriage, and B, it's it's just, it's so weird, the manipulation in the horse world, that it's, and I'm not trying to be, like, a mad conspiracy theorist here, um, actually, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but, um, that, that we just, like, the subtle semantic change, like, instead of saying release, we say reward, and, um, you know, we say it's fine to hit the horse or pull on them, you know, they're okay, they'll be fine, and when the science shows that their skin is super is thinner than humans, like one layer of their skin is thinner than humans and more arguably more sensitive. And still we're like, whips are fine. <laughs> like just kick the shit out of them. And so I don't know. It just is, it's a really weird, weird industry that it's just like, it, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance and like, I get it because it doesn't make sense. So you have to justify it somehow And the only solution is to say that it's not hurting the horse because the horse can't contradict that. So it's a pretty solid argument. And I mean, unless you actually know anything about body language and facial expressions and things like that. But if you, um, you know, ask the horse, it cannot respond to you. But, um, you know, the other way to absolve the cognitive dissonance of loving your horse and still like, you know, inflicting pain in one way or another is to say that you don't love the horse and that won't work. Um, and another way is to not inflict pain. And then, um, you know, a lot of that means not being able to use a lot of the traditional methods. Like if you don't want to inflict pain on a horse, you can't use a whip. And I mean, I'm not, emotional pain is also a thing, but you get your eyes rolled at if you, or eyes rolled at you if you talk about emotional pain with horses, but they are deeply emotional creatures. They feel things and they hold it in their bodies and they hide because they're prey animals and we take it for granted so easily. And it's just, it's really not fair to them. And um, we capitalize on them being prey animals because they don't communicate it because that would mean looking weak and looking weak means getting eaten and, or at least it did um, in their survival instincts. And also, um, oh my God, totally lost my train of thought. My cats are being very attacky at the moment and it's very distracting for my poor brain. Um... I was going to say something else about, <laughs> like, uh, whips. Oh, it being fear. Fear is emotionally damaging to them. And it is a, um, you know, it's a part of a prey animal. They operate on fear. And so, you know, horses being, um, you know, grazers and prey animals means we can train one of two ways. We can either train by using the fact that they eat all day long. Or we could train by using the fact that they are afraid of a lot of things and it's not hard to scare them. So, and that's what we tend to do. We tend to gravitate towards the easier one. And arguably, it's not really that much easier. 
especially if you have a um, ethical or moral issue with it, um, then it's not <laughs> easier. But in terms of achieving instant results, maybe. But even then, it's not really long-lasting, and it's not maybe the best thing <laughs> you want. My cat, have you lost it? Archie, are you okay? He's just, like, absolutely lost his mind. I don't think I have catnip in here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but anyway, I think that that's probably going to do it for this episode. Um, I hope that any of that made sense. I'm sorry it wasn't very planned. I want to get an episode up. <laughs> and hopefully in the next couple of weeks, um, things will get better and I'll have like more definitive planned topics to talk about. Um, and in the meantime, you can become a patron on, um, patreon.com slash jet podcast. And you can ask me any number of training questions that you would like at different, um, tiers. And that would give me something to talk about. Um, you can do that. Um, and also have access to the aforementioned live Q and A's among merch and other fun things. So be sure to check that out. Follow me on Instagram, jet podcast and jet equithery. And, uh, With that, I bid you adieu. Thank you for listening, and I will see you guys next Tuesday. Bye.